What stresses you? Overwhelms you? What has happened or may happen that is so devastating? Your heart cries out, I just can't take it. Can't take anymore. Your world is crushing in, you're about to sink. So overwhelmed. Pain, disappointment. Certainly, these are thoughts and feelings that Jonah must have experienced as we read his prayer. I remind you that as we come together each week here at GPC, we're looking at this historical true account of Jonah. Yes, it's true. All that is recorded here really happened. Jesus himself believed in this historical account of Jonah. Because Jesus uses this as an example for himself. I remind you, God has used Jonah in previous occasions to preach of the one to come, looking forward to the Messiah. Jonah, the missionary, the preacher, the teacher, has another assignment from God. Jonah, go to Nineveh. That great city that is evil. God said, go. Jonah says, no. No way would he, was he willing, he rebelled in his heart. Rebellion, resistance. Jonah hated those people of Nineveh because of their cruelty the atrocities that they had inflicted upon those they had conquered. The capital of the Assyrian Empire took great pride in the torture and the destruction against their enemies. They were so proud of their military success that they would paint Pictures, we would say, on the wall of the cruelty and the torture and the inhumane treatment against those they had captured. And Jonah knows enough about God. He tells us this in chapter 4. You're a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. And I don't want you to show mercy and grace to them. Jonah wanted God to give them what they deserved. And he did not want to preach to them. Instead of obeying God, he runs from God, all in chapter 1. He tries to go as far away as possible from the presence of God. He goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship going to Tarshish. He pays the fare. He goes on board. He finds the place he's to stay. And he goes to sleep. Hard, hard sleep. But God's not going to let Jonah go. God will not let his children alone when we're disobedient. He comes after us. 
And he comes after Jonah. By sending, I'll say, a Category 5 hurricane. It was bad. And those, we believe, veteran sailors were so frightened by the storm that God had brought that they're scared and they know they're about to die in this storm. They begin throwing the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. They start crying out to their gods. Different sailors had different gods. Where's Jonah? Oh, he's down asleep. The captain goes down there, and I'm paraphrasing. Go to chapter 1. It's there. In essence, what are you doing? We're all about to die, and here you are asleep. Call out to your God. Maybe he'll answer us. Well, Jonah owned up. It was he that had sinned against God. He says, my God is the God who created the heavens and this earth and this sea. Yeah, my God is responsible for this storm. He said, he told them what was happening, running away from God, trying to. Yes, that God sent this storm to punish him. And what they needed to do was throw him overboard and get rid of him. Drown him, kill him. He owned up. He confessed. They didn't want to. These, quote, non-Christians were more concerned about Jonah than Jonah, the Christian, was concerned about them. Finally, as a last resort, they throw him overboard. And now, we have Jonah's response. He tells us what it was like. For so long, I thought, well, he's thrown overboard. Immediately, God provided that great fish to immediately swallow him. But the more I study, the more I learn from Pastor Tim Keller in his excellent series in Jonah, I realized Probably God allowed Jonah not to be swallowed immediately, but to sink and sink and sink, perhaps to the bottom. Let's look, bottom of the ocean, before he sent that great fish. Let's look at what Jonah tells us. Jonah, distressed and overwhelmed, There are times when God will allow us to be stressed, distressed, and overwhelmed. I remind you that this series of sermons, I'm learning so much from Pastor Tim Keller. He says he preaches this series every 10 years. Keeps working on it, keeps developing it. Excellent series. So here's Jonah's initial response. First of all, he tells us what it was like thrown overboard, initially what he did, and then he shares with us the prayers. And then I want us to ask, how does he show us his love? But first, look, Jonah prayed to the Lord, verse 1, 
pray to the Lord, his God, the true God, from the belly of the fish. He's been swallowed. He's alive. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Distressed. Near death. That's what he means, the belly of Sheol. Now, what does he say to God? Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. In the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Guys, guess, who threw Jonah into the water? The sailors. But Jonah knew they were only doing what God had directed. And so God could, Jonah could say in honesty, God, you threw me into the water. You threw me into those waves. This death experience, this water. You were behind all of this. Let's keep going. You cast me into deep, verse 3, into the very heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. I'm so far gone, you can't even see me. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Yes, I'm at death. But because of the resurrection of the one you're going to send, Jesus Christ, I'm going to see you again. Already pointing to Christ. To the one who was promised who was going to come. Listen, listen. We look back to the one who has come, Jesus Christ. Are you looking to him only? Do you see yourself as the sinner we are? Deserving his displeasure. We deserve his judgment. We deserve eternal hell. That's what we deserve. But by God sending Christ to live to die on that cross, to take sin and judgment upon himself by his resurrection. He offers eternal life in his family. We look back on that event. Jonah and the Old Testament looked forward to his coming. We look back. So Lord, yes, I'm about to die, but because of the resurrection, I'm going to see you again. Look at verse 5. He continues to tell us what it was like. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. 
I believe he's saying there as he was sinking and sinking that seaweed around his head. How frightening. At the roots of the mountains, you've seen mountains against the ocean. Those mountains go down into the water. He said, Lord, I was down at the very roots of those mountains. I went down to the land whose bars clothe upon me forever. Yet, you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit. Yes, you, you sent me down, but you brought me up. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, Father, I was dying, I was drowning. Then you remembered me. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. My prayers you heard, you answer. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. Verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, what I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it, the fish, vomited Jonah out upon dry land. I trust that today we will learn of our Lord's gracious love through verses 1 through 8. And our Lord willing, we'll pick up verse 9 next week. But what's the summary of what I'm trying to say that I believe is true? It's this. Trust in Christ's goodness and his power when he brings you into the pit to bring you up into the mountain. Trust his love, his power, his goodness when you're going through the very worst of the worst that he may bring you up into his best. As one author says, our Lord does not use his people greatly until they have hurt deeply. Often our Lord does not use his people greatly until we are hurt deeply. And we're so hurt and devastated and weak and needy that we say with honesty, Christ, you're all I have with your people in community. That's what Jonah is learning. That's what Abraham learned. Abraham, how shameful it was to have been married to Sarah for those many years without a child. They hurt deeply. 
until eventually Christ gave them a child. Or Joseph in the Old Testament used so wonderfully well. He was used greatly. But he went through deep pain. A man's wife lied about him. A man's wife said of Joseph, he tried to me. It's a lie. He didn't try to attack her. She was attacking him. He ran. She lied in her anger that he refused her. And he goes to prison and forgotten. But all hurt deeply used powerfully. Look at David used so wonderfully in Scripture. The pain of being rejected by his own son, Absalom, who wanted to kill him and went after him to kill him. David was hurt greatly, but used powerfully. Here, Jonah. Jonah is so distressed at death But God is behind all of this. And God's going to use him greatly. He's going to go to Nineveh. He's going to preach. And that great, evil, wicked city is going to repent. And believe on Christ to come. They're going to repent. And God so often does not use us powerfully until we are hurt. Deeply. How does God bring about that change? What does He use to capture our hearts and turn us around from going our own way? What did He use in Jonah's life who was trying to run from God but now obeys? What does He use? Folk, this is something we rarely talk about. But it's a wonderful provision of his love. And we're going to hear the author of Hebrews tell us the way our Lord captures us and turns us around from going our own way until we start pursuing him. We've got to see this for our benefit, for your benefit, and for the good of those who will listen to you. Let's see the way he uses us. Look at this statement. The Lord brings his children down that he may lift them up. If you're in Christ, if Christ is in you, he loves you too much to let us continue in our rebellion. He brings us down that he might lift us up. Okay, what is it that he does? How does the Lord bring his children down that he may lift us up? What does he use? How does he do it? We need to know the truth of Hebrews 12. This is what he does. This is how he does it. Look, the author of Hebrews says this, and have you forgotten The exhortation that addresses you as sons? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? 
Are you in God's family? Are you among his adopted? Then this is what he does. Don't forget it. My son, my daughter, my family, do not regard lightly the what? Discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. How does he do it? How does he capture us and turn us around from going our own way to pursue his ways? He disciplines us. That's how much he loves us. He comes after us. Disciplines us. Don't take lightly. He's disciplined. Don't grow weary. Don't give up when he reproves, when he disciplines, when he reproves, when he corrects, when he punishes. Don't take it lightly. Look, verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, may I say daughter, whom he receives when he comes after you, when he breaks your world. When he crushes you and brings you to the very depths of the ocean, he's showing his love. He's proving you're one of his. It can be ugly. It can hurt. It does hurt. It's not pleasant. He continues, he continues, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son, every one whom he receives. It's proof that he's accepted you. Look, verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The parents, the grandparents, the babysitter loves the child, children too much to let them play in the street. You can't go there. And if you do, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to get punished. You're going to get corrected. Students, when you begin to drive and your parents warn you about the consequences of speeding, of other possibilities, and if you disobey and ignore you, they're going to be disciplined. There's going to be correction. There are going to be consequences. Why? They love you too much to let you do what you want. For us as adults, there are consequences to our choices. And some can be so painful and unnecessary. But he's coming after our hearts. He's coming after us. There are consequences. <sighs> Verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as his own. 
For what son, daughter is there whom the father does not discipline? Now verse 8. If you're left without discipline, if the parent does not correct the child for running in the street, if the authorities do not take action when there's disobedience to the laws, you're illegitimate. You're not a true child of parents who just let you go your own way. They're not his own if he lets you go. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we're to respect them for that. When it's done in gentleness and humility, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lies? Look at verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Parents, grandparents, they discipline us for our good. God does it to make us more like his son. Holy as he is holy, to participate in his holiness. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Boy, it hurts. It's so embarrassing, humiliating. So painful. But if we will cooperate and respond properly, it brings pleasure. Pleasure. That's the word pleasant. It's pleasure when he disciplines us that much and brings us back. And, or but, later he yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Don't give in. Go through the training. Experience the greater pleasure, the greater peace. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't trust you enough to believe that you knew what was best. I disobeyed you. I ignored your laws. I ignored your commands. I ignored your instructions. I ignored the counsel of the wise who loved you enough to speak truth to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Restore the joy of salvation. Restore the joy of living within your family. So we see God loves his sons and daughters too much to let you continue in your your rebellion and going your own way. He comes after you. He sends the storms, the pain, the suffering, the discipline 
bring you back. To give you the far greater pleasure and peace that you could ever imagine. That's what he does. So what's our response? One word. Humility. 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 Let's see what our Lord says. That you can have the greatest peace, that you can enjoy the greatest pleasure that is far beyond continuing in rebellion. Look at Psalm 1827. Psalm 1827. For you save a humble people. But the haughty eyes you bring down. Haughty, arrogant, pride, you bring us down. And you take us to the bottom. And it hurts. But he'll come and rescue and save when we will humble ourselves. He's able to send that big fish to swallow you. And bring you up and vomit you and me on dry, safe land. And then use you powerfully, use us powerfully to go to Nineveh, to go to neighbors, to go to nations. Oh, he's not finished with us. Peter, yes, you denied Christ. Yes, you denied the one who you said you would love. Yes, you even cursed, saying you never knew him. But God brought Peter down and lifted him up. That Peter could preach to, and 3,000 at one time were added to the church. <sighs> Failure? Yes. Brought to the bottom? Yes. Brought up? Yes. Used powerfully? Hallelujah. That's Peter. That's what he's able to do. <laughs> oh, it's about grace. It's about the cross and the resurrection. Look at James 4. Look at James 4 verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, listen, family, God opposes the proud. God comes after us and opposes us in our pride and arrogance, but he gives grace to the humble. So what are we to do? Daily, daily, daily submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Resist him. When he tells you to go your, own way, go your own way, resist him. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. Draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What does Archie Moore need every day? Humility. Paul said, great humility and tears that will fear our Lord. That's what I need. It's what you need. 
It's what all of us need, humility. Listen to Christ. Matthew 23, 12. Listen to Christ. Whoever exalts himself, herself, will be humbled. He loves you too much. He's going to come after you. And if you're his, he's going to humble you. And it's going to be painful. But if you'll humble ourselves, one day you'll have the greatest pleasure. And Christ will be exalted. So daily, daily, every day throughout the day, humbling ourselves. Experience his best. Pursue him in humility. And may he use you to take this wonderful, wonderful promise to others around us, to boys and girls, to North India, to the nations. Before I lead us in prayer, I invite you quietly, just you and our Lord, to say to him whatever you need to say that will express your humility, your need of Christ, for his greatest praise and your greater joy. Speak to him now quietly, please. Father, to trust you enough to humble ourselves before you and each other that you may lift up in due time. For all we ask in the name and authority of Christ. Amen.